Remember how the two of us always used to play together? Yeah, I remember. Hamudi was always there too. I hope he's in paradise now. No child of God should ever suffer such horror. Suddenly this liquid slime started coming out of my mouth. I could hardly breathe. I thought I was suffocating. Al-Yom. Syria's Children, The Toxic Gas and Us. Episode 1. Yusuf's Poisoned Childhood. A podcast about Assad's war against his own people. Yusuf's in the sixth grade. Today's a good day. There's actually classes to attend. Every morning when her son leaves the house, Yusuf's mother is afraid he'll tread on a mine or be abducted or shot. The 12-year-old boy lives in Kanshakhun. That's a small town in northern Syria, scene of a war that's been going on for seven years. On the 4th of April 2017, the forces of Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad drop a poison gas bomb on the town. At least 83 people are killed, among them 28 children. We are a team of 16 young journalists from Berlin, Germany. We want to tell you some story, a story that symbolizes the cruelty of a barbaric regime. Even as we were Skyping with Yusuf. We had no lessons today because there are too many bomber jets flying in the sky. That's why he spent the entire morning sitting around at home. It was too dangerous to go to school. Sometimes Yusuf has private tuition at home, quite a common scenario in Syria these days. The education system has all but collapsed across large areas of the country. Classrooms have been destroyed, and the teachers have either fled or been killed. This is because, as well as hospitals, the regime likes dropping bombs on schools. It's a demoralization tactic. But despite that, two-thirds of the children in Kanshaikun are still attending school. Yusuf's brought something to the school playground today, a recording device. The kids are soon crowding around him to get a look. It's about as big as a child's hand with flashing lights and a screen displaying the time. The children are curious and reach out to touch it. What's that? Does it have a microphone as well? That stayed with me. He's going to blow us all up. Look how quickly the timer's running down. Oh, God. Hey, lads, calm down a bit. Maybe he is going to blow us all up. It says another two minutes. No worries, if he does blow us up, I'd be happy. Better than this life. That's enough, boys. Shame on you. Buttons flashing red. The time code's running. The students think Yusuf's brought a bomb to school. We didn't think of that. After seven years of war, the children in Syria have totally different associations than children here in Germany. That makes us feel sad. After all, our Syrian reporter colleague gave Yusuf the recording device to take to school so he could ask his classmates a few questions. We asked him to do that. A few words of explanation. It would be nearly impossible for us to get access to Yusuf, even in Kanshaikhun. Entering Syria through Turkey is dangerous for journalists, and the alternative route via Lebanon goes straight through the Syrian war zone. 
Through our colleague in the team, Mohammed, a Syrian himself, we came into contact with a reporter from Idlib province, where Kanchehun is located. His name is Moas. We know his background, we can absolutely trust him. He visits Yusuf and his family for us, asks the questions we've discussed with him in advance on Skype. In 2011, no one could get into Syria from outside. I felt compelled to work as a journalist after I realized how many children and people were being killed. We had to do it. Let the world know what's happening in Syria. Moes is 25. It was the war that turned him into a journalist. Normally, he goes off on his own, a one-man team with a camera, filming bomb attacks, victims and war crimes for foreign media, and publishing his material on his own YouTube channel. It's the only weapon he has. He mainly makes recordings for us, but he also sends us images. In the video, we see Yusuf sitting on the living room floor after school, in his anorak. It looks chilly in his uncle's house, where he now lives with his mother, three sisters, and his uncle's family. Yusuf has short, dark blonde hair. He's got a broad jaw and large white teeth. He has chubby cheeks and deep, sad, bright eyes. The family's just eaten. I still remember that we had French fries on April the 3rd, and Dad was sitting right next to me. The day they attacked us with gas was the worst of my life. I can barely express my thoughts. I simply don't know what to say. No matter what I say, words are not enough. Everyone's leaving the house. Yusuf's already got his padded anorak on. His uncle helps his sisters tie their shoelaces. Then they get into the family's only car, which is parked directly outside the door. The bashed-up car sets off in a northerly direction out of town. Most of the road is asphalt and full of potholes. The car has barely any suspension. Yusuf sits in the front, and every time the car hits a pothole, his cousins bop up and down on the back seat. Yusuf thinks this is hilarious. Hi, Yusuf. Everything okay? Yes. From the car window, they see ruined houses, damaged streets, facades pocked with bullet holes. 70,000 people used to live in this town. No one really knows how many are left. Almost 15,000 have fled. But refugees from other parts of the country have also arrived. Bashar al-Assad is waging war against his own people. Khan Shaykhun is bombed about 20 times a month by Assad's military or Russian aircraft. This is because Idlib province is regarded as a rebel stronghold. The market square and many shops are now deserted, and almost half of the houses in Khan Shaykhun have been destroyed. Life has been turned on its head for Yusuf too. It's Thursday, the one day in the week when Yusuf visits his father, at his graveside. The car stops a short distance out of Kanshaykhun, where the cemetery is located. After so many years of war, the cemeteries are often overcrowded. In Aleppo, for example, the dead are buried on playgrounds next to the children's swings. 
Yusuf's father was 37 when he died. The saddest thing is that Yusuf has lost his father and now has to grow up without him. He really looked up to his dad. Yusuf's uncle Allah says his brother was a shy man, but conscientious and hardworking. He worked on a fruit plantation. He didn't have any qualifications, never learned to read or write. He'd always wished for a better education for his children. Yusuf dreams of becoming a pharmacist. Dad and I always got on well. We were friends. I love my dad. Other victims of the poison gas attack have also been buried here at the cemetery. On the way to his father's grave, Yusuf walks past several freshly dug mounds of earth. Most of them are marked with nothing but a simple wooden board with a name on it. Of course I'm sad, but somehow I know I still need to do it. The cemetery is surprisingly similar to its German equivalent. The graves are well tended and planted with flowers. On the grave of Yusuf's father are red carnations, also known as flowers of death. Yusuf reads from the Quran. I often have nightmares. I often dream of Dad. The last time he came to me in a dream and kissed me. Yusuf was there when his father died. He watched him fall to the ground. The explosion woke me up. I was on my own that day. My sisters were still asleep. Dad was in his room and I heard him run out. The official UN-led report published almost three months later states that the first bomb was dropped from a Sukhoi fighter jet at 6.29 a.m. A second bomb is dropped a few minutes later, then a third. The toxic gas escapes in a flash. It makes a hissing noise, rather like opening a can of Coke. Eyewitnesses later describe the gas cloud as yellow and mushroom-shaped. The bombs hit close to a grain silo on the outskirts of the town, 450 meters from Yusuf's house. His dad has already run out of the door. Yusuf is hot on his heels. His father holds up his hand in desperation, trying to get passing cars to stop. He begs the drivers to take the wounded people lying outside his front door to hospital. A few cars do stop, but many already have people stretched out on the back seat. Yusuf's father isn't making much sense. The gas has made his voice hoarse. He can no longer speak. My dad said to his cousin, take me to the hospital. Then he collapsed, his cousin too. A motorist takes the cousin to hospital. 
but there's no room for Yusuf's father. Then the boy notices his neighbors falling to the ground next to him. Suddenly there was a kind of liquid slime coming out of their mouths. They brought them to the car and drove away. At that point, I hadn't breathed in that much of the gas. But later, I felt ill. I could hardly breathe. I thought I was suffocating. I suddenly felt really cold and I was shaking. Moes spoke to Yusuf about April the 4th. In the interview, Yusuf's voice sounds clipped and matter-of-fact. He doesn't cry. That seems odd to us, as though he's talking about another person and not about himself. Yusuf also ingests too much of the toxic gas. A short time later, he loses consciousness. A relative brings him to hospital. Yusuf's best friend, Abudi, happens to be in the hospital at the same time. But 3,400 kilometers away in Magdeburg, a city in eastern Germany. He and his family were able to escape there two years ago. Abudi and Yusuf aren't just best friends, but also distant relations. Even when they were babies, their parents would put them down next to each other. Normally, the two boys would chat pretty much every day. But on the 4th of April, Abudi doesn't hear from Yusuf. Coming home from school that afternoon, he finds his mother sitting at the table in tears. She tells him about the poison gas attack in their hometown of Kanshekhun and that Yusuf is in hospital. Abudi goes into shock. His temperature soars, his father takes him to the emergency room. The doctors keep him in overnight for observation. The next morning, both boys wake up in hospital. The first thing Abudi does is text his friend Yusuf. Are you okay? Hope you're all right. Yusuf survived the gas attack unharmed. He then finds out that including his father, 29 members of his family did not. He also discovers that 28 children from his neighborhood were killed in the attack. Children he would often play with. Remember how the two of us always used to play together when there was a school? Yeah, I remember. Hamudi was always there too. I hope he's in paradise now. The bomb containing sarin came down just 450 meters from Yusuf's house. What further havoc and harm did the gas cause? Who was able to survive in Khan Shaikun? Find out in episode 2, The Saviors of Khan Shaikun. Alyom, Syria's children, the toxic gas, and us. Stay tuned to the podcast that gives the voiceless a voice. <laughs>